Well, this weekend we continue the series that we've been in for the past three weeks called The Word, where we've taken some time out to take a closer examination of this ancient book that we simply call the Bible. Now, last week's I did a really good job of showing us how to receive Scripture in our life for all that it's worth. Now, I don't know about you, but my, is- my issue with Scripture never has to deal with whether or not I think that it's true. I mean, I don't have a difficult time wrapping my mind around the origins or how authoritative God's word is. No, a majority of my hang-ups have to deal with reading and applying it to my life on a consistent basis, right? And so know that today as we talk about staying connected to Jesus in his word, through his word, that I'm going to speak more from a perspective of frustration and failures with this in my own life than I am successes. Now here's the thing, it is much easier to give advice than to receive it. And occasionally, as Christians, we can do a really good job at throwing each other into the deep end of the, uh, the, deep, the, deep end of the pool, expecting that that person knows how to swim. And then when that individual starts to drown, we just say, well, just try harder, swim harder, it's not that difficult, right? I mean, isn't that really frustrating? And so know that today is more about me jumping in the deep end with you. I know what I should do. I just don't always do it. I mean, haven't we all gone weeks without opening the pages of Scripture before? I mean, haven't we all sat down and been well-intended to read the Bible, and then we come across something that just goes totally over our heads? Haven't we all read something in the Word that frustrates us, angers us, or we just don't get? I mean, if we were to all take off our masks in here today, I think we would realize that, that that's a lot of our stories in here as well. And so know that the context in which we're going to be talking about today comes out of this deep understanding that Jesus 2,000 years ago came to this earth to absorb the consequences that we deserve because of sin in our life. And in turn, he offers to us an escape. In other words, if we are in Christ, we are free. And so if we don't first understand that we are rooted in grace, then reading scripture day in and day out can easily morph into this legalistic religious rule that we feel as if we need to maintain in order to earn God's attention in our life. And so if you have your Bibles, what I want you to do is go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of 1 Peter. If you don't own a Bible, there's a black one right in front of you. That's our gift to you. Take that home with you. Uh, We're going to be in chapter 1, starting out in chapter 1. I believe it's on 857 uh, in those Bibles right in front of you. Now, if as God's people, you and I are called to remain in Him, what seems to be more realistic on a consistent basis is that we tend to drift, right? And so here's the thing, drifting spiritually, it never occurs overnight, it's never intentional, it's always slowly progressive. Last summer, my family and I went to Florida for a week with my whole side of the family, and just about every day that we were there, we would go out into the ocean and we would swim, and when it was time to come in, we would look for our belongings on the beach while we were still in the water so that we knew where to go. And every time that we would do that, we would always be about 30 to 40 yards down the beach from where we had originally started. Why is that? Well, it's what scientists call a rip current. A rip current is this subtle kind of shift of water that moves water near the ocean shore anywhere from one to six feet per second. And it's so gradual and gentle that you can be swimming out in the ocean and all the while the ocean is taking you down its shoreline or worse, out into the deep parts of the ocean, out into the deep parts of the water. And so marine safety experts say that the best thing you can do before going to the beach is to simply be aware of the rip current's progressive nature as you swim. 
And so that's what our text is going to do for us today. We are going to identify ways in which we drift in life. Why? So that we can remain connected to the source of life. Uh, you need to know that the author of this text is a guy by the name of Peter, and he was a close friend, a disciple of Jesus, and he's writing to some Christians in the first century in modern-day Turkey who were going through some really difficult times. They thought about just throwing in the towel because persecution was headed their way, and so Peter's entire intent in writing this book is to say, look, your only hope for surviving in this life is to remain connected to Jesus. And so in verse 23, Peter kind of gives the basics of the gospel. He informs his readers of how salvation actually works in life. Take a look, take a look at with me. Here's what he says. For you have been born again. Simply talking about when you become a Christian, you're, you're born again. Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. Now what in the world does this mean? Well, as we've stated in this series, the Bible is God's revelation to us. Meaning the pages of Scripture contain the message that if believed, if trusted, can save our lives for all of eternity. Now let's make some distinctions here. Because what this doesn't mean is that the Bible in itself saves us. I mean, knowing more about Scripture doesn't necessarily make us a better person. Do you know that historians note that Joseph Stalin attended seminary and memorized the entire book of Matthew before he took over the Soviet Union and murdered around 40 million people? You see, it's really easy to confuse knowledge about God with intimacy with God. And so the Bible reveals to us our creator who can be personally known in the means by which we can be saved, which is through God's Son alone. Peter says here in verse 23 that God's promises unveiled to us in his word will not die, fade away, or ever become untrue. And so what that means is that no matter where we're at in our journey with God, whether you're there as a follower of Christ or, or maybe you're not, when we read the word, when we hear God's word proclaimed and taught, Peter is saying that indestructible seeds of truth are planted within our soul and deep within our heart. Look at this, even when you want nothing to do with God at the time. And that's why he says that scripture is living and enduring. Seeds are being planted within each of us right now in this very moment. All the while, some of you are thinking to yourself right about now, where are we going to eat after this? I mean, when, when is Ken going to be preaching next? <laughs> Why is Patrick balding so quickly? As we're going to see in just a few moments, everything that Peter writes here in this letter is in the context of his audience having a brand new life in Jesus because of his finished work on the cross and so here's the thing that was true for them 2,000 years ago, and the same thing that's true for us today, is that when we trust Jesus, a new life brings about a new identity for us. We're not just giving a better, more improved life. No, the Bible says that we're given a totally different life. You and I are dead to the people that we used to be. But you know what? I don't know how this works in your life, but sometimes I forget that, and I live, I live as if I only fainted when trusting Jesus. I mean, some days I wake up and the battle inside me begins before I even put my feet on the floor. The old Patrick wants control. I mean, I love one of the lines of that song we just sang a moment ago, Come Thou Fount, that, that Ken alluded to. A line that goes like this, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God that I love. 
And doesn't that describe a lot of us in here? And so what's really at this heart of drifting in our life that we all feel from time to time? Well, check out uh, verse 24. Peter goes on to say this. For all people are like grass. Pay attention to that. And all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, he says. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now Peter quoted the Old Testament of uh, the Old Testament book of Isaiah here. The Old Testament to the first century church was what the Bible would be to us today. And so from what Peter writes here, the first thing that we can identify in our text is this: that drift happens when we're distracted by our own greatness. <laughs> drift happens when we're distracted by our own greatness. Now, our personal glory is an illusion and is very fleeting and temporary. Now, let this one soak in here for just a minute. You and I are compared to grass. <laughs> All right? I mean, the Bible really just has a great way of boosting our self-confidence. I mean, it doesn't say that we're compared to trees. It doesn't say that we're like shrubs or bushes. I mean, we just might get too big of a head if that were the case. But then Peter says that our glory is like the flowers of the field. Have you ever noticed how the bloom of a flower, how it's very short-lived? I mean, take, for example, a, a, a daylily. Uh, I learned this past week that one daylily will get about 20 different buds on it. And when each bud blooms in its own time, guess how long it lasts? One day. That's why it's called a daylily. So it will bloom and then it will, it will literally shrivel up overnight and be gone until the next year. The fullness of its coloring is very short-lived. And so however awesome and great we think we are, Peter is saying, look, it's about as lasting as a day lily. Therefore, it's extremely irra irrational for us to put more hope in who we are than the promises found in God's word. I mean, the Bible just has this very unique way of showing us how frail we are. And this seems offensive on the surface, but it can be really the best thing for us. On the 4th of July last week, uh, our family went to a friend's house to go swimming for the afternoon. Now, because our kids don't know how to swim yet, we put those little floaties on their arms and around their body uh, just to play it safe. And when we took them to the pool for the first time, they, they were really nervous and they barely wanted to put their toes in the water. And so when they were ready, I carried them out into the middle of the shallow end of the pool. And as I did that, as we were walking out there, I mean, they were holding on to my arms with their dear life. Their bodies were shaking with fear. But then something funny really happened. The longer we were in the water, the more comfortable they were with it. And the more confident in turn they became with their ability to swim. And so when it came time to eat lunch, both JR and Vera ran towards my wife Savannah and said, Mommy, Mommy, I can swim, I can swim. Now when they said that, the worst possible thing that I could have told them in that moment was, yep, you guys were great. <laughs> I mean, you really know how to swim. Your ability to swim was just awesome. Why would that have been bad? Because I would have fed a lie in their minds that wouldn't end well for them. I mean, you see, had, they, had I not told them the painful truth about what terrible swimmers they really were and really are, they would go on thinking that they had the skill and ability to jump in a pool all by themselves. And so though it was painful for me to tell them that at first, in turn, it's what could have ended up, could have ended up, ended up saving them. And isn't that just like us? 
I mean, aren't we easily impressed with our ability to achieve? I mean, don't we take a lot of pride in, in our independence? And, and we love to control our life. And some of us walk around thinking that we know how to run our life better than God who created us. And you see, though it's a painful reality at first, realizing that we are frail and that we fall short and that we are broken, in the end, that's the beginning of a pathway of what can end up saving us. One thing that God is teaching me a lot lately is that nobody gets between God and me more than I do. And I don't know if that's how it is for you. Uh, author uh, Tim Keller states that we are sometimes blind to the depths of our own self-centeredness and overconfident that we have the wisdom to manage our own lives. And so when we open up scripture, not only are we told that pride is toxic for our souls and lives, but we're also informed how we can be justified by Jesus and that he offers to adopt us into his forever family. And so if our only motivation in reading the Bible is to boost our self-esteem and to boost our confidence, we will quickly see that we are really asking for something that is too little. And so the Bible not only confronts our sin, but it reveals to us a much better way and a much better deal. You see, when we become less in our life, God in turn can become more. Let's keep going with our text here. Check out uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. Peter says this, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. He's simply confronting some of these ideas and mentalities that are toxic to our relationship with God. He says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now Peter here gives another uh, reason why we wonder from Scripture, and it's this. That drift happens, drift happens when we no longer see the need to repent. Drift happens in our life when we no longer see the need to repent. The two key words in this text are rid and crave. We're told to crave pure spiritual milk so that we can grow up into our salvation. Now the source of this milk is what Peter said in the previous chapter, and that is when he said that, and this is the word that was preached to you. Now the imagery that Peter gives us here is that of a baby craving milk, all right? Now every mom in here can attest to this, that babies, their need for milk is constant throughout the day, right? And nighttime as well. Do you know one thing that our children didn't say when they were babies? I mean, they didn't wake up in the middle of the night and uh, they were hungry and say, you know what, it's, it's 3 a.m., mommy and daddy, I think they're still asleep, so you know what, I'm just going to, I'm not going to worry about it until morning, right? That didn't happen, okay? And many of you, that's the case for you as well. No, a baby's need for milk is constant and relentless, all right? It, it's ongoing. Their life literally depends upon it. And so this is that idea that, that Peter's going with. God has designed our relationship with him in such a way that we never outgrow his need for his sufficient grace. You see, this whole entire process is simply called repentance. And that's a fancy Bible word that, that means to turn towards God and away from yourself. In other words, allow him to tell you how to live in spite of what you may feel, in spite of your opinions. Repentance is about acknowledging where we've blown it so that we can allow the word of God to soak deeply into our souls. A couple weeks ago, our family uh, went to Cincinnati for a conference, and to tell you the truth, it was one of those weeks where my wife and I just didn't connect, all right? 
To start the week off, I had accidentally booked a hotel room in the wrong part of town. Uh, Red flags should have started going off when we pulled up to the hotel, and right across the street was the Hustler Strip Club. (laughs) And we walked up into our room, and I promise you I had seen it before on an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, okay? There were cobwebs up in the ceiling, no lie. There There was mildew on the wallpaper, stains on the sheets. And so I could have been a loving husband that week, or I could have chosen to save money, but it would have been impossible for me to try to do both, okay? And so about 11 o'clock at night when we checked in, we ended up checking out and going to a different hotel about 20 minutes away. Now that mistake that I had made because of my lack of planning just kind of offset everything for the whole entire week. You ever been there before? I mean, it was my fault, and so my pride was wounded a little bit, therefore I shut down. And, and so the whole time in Cincinnati, Savannah and I didn't communicate very well. We were sensitive towards one another, and, and we argued a lot. Now, our counselor says it's very helpful for us to talk about it with others, all right? <laughs> but do you know what eventually got us back on track as a couple? When we got home, uh, we put the kids to bed, and we just sat down at our kitchen table. And we sat there and I said, you know, Savannah, I owe you an apology for a lot of different things from this past week. I then proceeded to go through everything that I had done wrong. That was one long conversation on my behalf. (laughs) But then I realized, you know, it wasn't, it was necessary for us to connect as a couple. And that required me not just being specific about where I had made mistakes, but it required me telling her what I was going to do differently moving forward. And you see, the Bible simply calls that repentance. And I think that's a pretty accurate parallel of what's required in our relationship with God if we desire to grow up into our salvation. You know, the Bible tells us that we have been created to exist with God forever. But you and I are born with this natural tendency towards brokenness and evil and sin. Now, because our Creator is holy, He can't be associated with anything that has been contaminated by sin. And so in God's goodness, though, he has promised to not abandon us, rather provide us a way to be saved and a way to be rescued. And so 2,000 years ago, he entered this dark world as a man. He lived a sinless life, and he died the death that we deserve. The Bible says of that event that he who knew no sin, talking about Jesus, he actually became sin for us. Three days after that one event, the Bible tells us that Jesus actually rose back to life. (laughs) And this is the best deal you're ever going to get. The Bible promises that if you and I trust that, if we believe that that actually happened, that a resurrection is possible for us as well. Now God is not some distant cosmic force who has removed himself from our everyday lives. Instead, when we follow him, he actually takes up residence inside us. And so what that means is that every day we have a choice to make. Will you live according to the version of you before you were saved? This is that side of you that was enslaved to pornography, meth, approval. Success, acceptance, money, control. Or will you live according to what God says is right and true through the power of the Holy Spirit? And that's where the new and the better version of ourselves can be found. How do you get there? Well, again, it goes down to this word repentance. This is a process, all right? It's about thinking differently. And why do we do this? Well, check out again what Peter says in verse 3. He says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. 
God is good. I mean, you do know that he has your best in mind, right? You do know that he cares for you. And though your circumstances may contradict that, he is with you no matter what. And so when you begin a relationship with God, you might wonder, well, well how do I experience that? That sounds really nice, and, and that sounds like a distant theory, but what, is, what does that really mean for my life? How can I begin that? Uh, I think for me personally, this just begins by me personalizing God's promises that I find in his word. When I read scripture and I see myself and what is being said, I just have to accept in faith and I have to trust that that's true for me as well. And in turn, it causes me to realize how undeserving I am of him and how patient and how kind God is with me. And so drift happens when we no longer see the need to repent. But here's the third thing. Drift happens, drift happens when we think that God has given up on us. And this is where a lot of us are going to resonate. Look at what Peter continues to say in verses 4 and 5. He says, as you come to him, the living stone, he's talking about Jesus here. We're going to look at this in just a moment. Rejected by humans, the, resur- the, the crucifixion, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, to understand what Peter is saying here, you first must understand that salvation is a gift, all right? There's nothing you can do to earn it, but salvation is also a growth. It's a totally new identity that you begin living out the moment you trust Jesus and you begin following him. That's why in these few verses, we read phrases like, as you come to him, and that we're being built into a spiritual house. You see, those phrases are in present tense, which means this. Maturity and growth, it doesn't happen overnight. Now the living stone, as I said a moment ago, in verse 4 refers to Jesus. He's the cornerstone or the foundation of our faith. But I want you to notice also in verse 5 how it says that you and I are like living stones. The literal meaning of Christian is little Christ. And so in other words, when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, you become one with Jesus. Your position before God's throne is faultless because Christ literally steps in your place. And so when God sees you, he doesn't see the things in your life that have brought you the most amount of shame and guilt. You see, Jesus lived perfectly in your place so that you would no longer feel this weight of religion and rules that honestly, you and I can't live up to at the end of the day. Now, if you trust Jesus, the question isn't, are you free? The question that you and I probably struggle with most frequently is, are you living like you're free? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has forgiven you. But the question is, have you, have you forgiven yourself? And my experience has been is that it takes a long time remaining in Scripture and the Word to realize that God hasn't given up on us. Now, by a show of hands real quickly, have you ever disappointed someone before or ever been disappointed by somebody? All right, all Colts fans should be raising their hands right now, okay? All right, we've all experienced that, and and our natural response in that moment is to avoid that individual that has disappointed us or, or to avoid that person that we've caused disappointment in their life, right? I mean, that's just true for us. 
And I think that's the reason why a lot of us avoid God and have drifted from Him for quite some time. We think that He's disappointed in us. We believe that He's mad at us for something. Can I tell you something? It is impossible for God to be disappointed in you. Because by definition, disappointment is being surprised by some behavior. Now let me remind you that our sovereign God is all-knowing and is all-seeing. That means that there's nothing we can bring to him that he either doesn't already know about or doesn't already see in our life. He offers to keep working with us in spite of what we bring to the table. And he's going to help you live out that righteousness that has literally been imputed upon your life because of what Jesus has done for you. Now can you imagine how the original audience receiving this letter would have responded when they realized that God hadn't given up on them? As I said a moment ago, these were Christians that were in the midst of persecution. They were being ostracized in their communities and being subjected to torture. The Roman King Nero um, was either unleashing or in the process of unleashing persecution against the church when receiving this. Their country was, their country was growing to be so dark that they probably questioned whether or not it was worth it. Does that sound familiar? And so knowing all this, how do you think it felt to those believers when they gathered together to hear this document read by some pastor that said this, hey, look, you may not know it, but, but God hadn't given up on you. You may not see it, but, but God is actually building you up into this really special thing called a spiritual house. He, he hasn't overlooked you. He hasn't given up on you. I imagine for them that it changed everything. Now, I want you to time out here for, for, for just a moment. If you don't come to Crossroads regularly, if you don't consider this church your church home, then what I'm about to say doesn't really apply to you, all right? So you can just begin scrolling through your Instagram right about now. But if this is the place that you do belong, you need to realize that it's for this very reason, God not giving up on us regardless of our past, that we are going to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. This means that you and I can continue anticipating changes in how we do things around here. Now, we don't like change, right, because our sense of normalcy is what's comfortable for us. My wife would tell you that I'm not one for change either. But as a church, we must be willing to do things that we've never done in order to reach people who have never been reached. And in a very loving way, I want you to know that it is not about any one of us. Now, creativity and art have always been something in the church have been tools to, to describe affection towards God and to, to draw people to Christ. This concept actually goes as far back to the Old Testament. Now let's be straight for a moment. You probably experience some creativity or uh, artistic experience here on the weekends that doesn't really connect with you. I mean, I'm, I'm there with you. Sometimes it, it just misses, and that's okay. And so when we experience something like that that we don't particularly like, maybe it's a song that is sung, maybe it's a style of worship, Perhaps it's the lights or the fog machines or maybe it's my preaching. Understand that that is okay that you don't like it because what that means is that we have the potential to reach people who aren't like you and me. And so what that means is that it's a good thing. Now what I'm not saying is that our message is going to change. Our promise to you is that whoever is up here on this platform, we will always preach the word in season and out of season. You see, our message is timeless, but how we communicate that message must be timely. 
And so one thing that I want us as a church to kind of memorize, I want you to write this down. I want you to hold yourself, your spouse, and, and maybe even your small group accountable to is this, all right? Moving forward, this is going to be really important for us to grab a hold of, that our mission, which is disciples making disciples, must always determine our methods. In other words, how we really bring that about, our strategies for reaching people, our strategies for us growing in our faith, and take precedence over our preferences. In other words, it's not about us, all right? Our mission must always determine our methods and take precedence over our preferences. I want you to know that I love this church and I am sold out on the fact that our best days as a people are still ahead of us. I mean, in no way, shape, or form have we arrived. I am so convinced that if we remain humble and hungry, we have yet to see what God can do in this community and around the globe through us. I mean, imagine the amount of eternities that can be altered through Crossroads. Imagine the amount of marriages that can be healed, the amount of children that will be adopted into loving families, the amount of women that can be rescued from the sex slavery industry. I mean, can you just think about for a moment the fact that your neighborhood can be turned upside down for the glory of God? You need to realize that God is not done with us yet. Rather, He is willing to do a new and better work in us and through us in the future. But you know what? That's got to mean that we've got to get out of the way. That means we've got to let God move so that he can show people that he isn't done with them. All right? Can you get on board with that? Can you grab a hold of that as we move forward as a church? Let's uh, keep going here. Um, The last concept that uh, um, we're going to see is found in verse 9. Look at what Peter continues writing. He says, but you, talking about Christians, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then he says this, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had received mercy. You have received mercy. And so the last concept that I want us to see in this text as we close today is this. The drift happens when we forget who we are. Drift happens when we forget who we are. Now check out how Peter says that we weren't a people, but now we're the people of God. We once had not received mercy, but now now it's on our side and and we have it. It's it's a reality for us. In verse 9, it says that we're God's special possession. I mean, when was the last time you thought of yourself as that, God's special possession? Now, we all have special possessions in our life, Right? And for me, when <clears throat> I hear that phrase, I immediately think of my golden retriever, all right? She's seven years old, and she's absolutely precious to me. And, and no shame in it, I love that dog a ton, okay? Now, we all have special possessions like that in our life. <clears throat> and our natural tendency when we read that is to equate God's love for us with the way that we view our special possessions. Now, as much as I cherish my dog, Valley, here's the thing. My love for her actually has limits, And so what that means is that if she were to ever get sick and the only thing that would bring about healing for her would be to go through a surgery that cost about $15,000, I mean, I just couldn't do it. Now, if it cost $14,000, that'd be something different. Uh, And so when we read the word God's special possessions, we think it's how we love, but it's totally different. And as crazy as this sounds, you know the difference between the way God loves us and the way that I love my golden retriever? Because God spared no expense to giving us what we needed most. 
And you may not realize this because this may be contradictory to what you've heard growing up, but God's love for you used to be conditional. But you see, then 2,000 years ago, Jesus kind of stepped forward in your place, met the conditions for you. Why? So that God could then in turn love you unconditionally. And Jesus has become our substitute so that we may know him. And because of that, Peter says, we're free. Because of that, we've been forgiven. Because of that, I mean, we're, we're God's people. We're a chosen nation. We've been set apart. That's our new identity. That's the truest thing about who we are as people. And when we forget that, no wonder we drift from God so frequently. And so we've identified some ways in which we drift from the word and some of what we've maybe seen today, you can probably really identify with, others not so much. And the one thing that I just want you to think about as we close today is this, how will you remain connected to your heavenly father? How will you personally remain connected to your father through his word? No relationship in your life can exist without some intentionality on your part to cultivate it. I mean, if you didn't ever connect with a friend or, or be intentional about connecting with a friend who goes away to college, don't you think that the two of you would drift away with time? And so every significant relationship we have requires some type of strategy to stay connected. And so it's no different in our relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so what does that look like for you? I don't know what you deal with day in and day out. I don't know your schedule. I don't, I don't know your past. You do. God does. And so I'm willing to bet that when those things merge together, that's probably what it looks like to stay connected to him. And so the big thing is, is finding and identifying the strategy. You see, remaining in the word is the means by which we keep our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. You see, Jesus is the point. All scripture is about Christ. You see, when our focus is upon him, everything else in our life just kind of falls in line. And so what I want us to go ahead and do is I want us to go ahead and stand up. We're going to sing one last song. And maybe you want to make this song your prayer. Uh, but I want you to begin thinking about throughout the entirety of this song is what does this strategy for me look like in my life? I'm going to pray. Uh, we're going to sing a song and then we'll get out of here. So let's pray. God, I thank you that you haven't given up on us. And God, some of us in here, we hear that and we just don't really believe it. We don't believe it because we know what we've done. We know the shame and guilt that we carry in here with us today. And so God, coming to you requires confession, requires repentance, but God, at the same time, there's nothing we can do that is bigger than the cross of Jesus. And I'm thankful that once we begin that relationship with you, Lord, that, that you are faithful to us even at times when we aren't faithful to you. And so God, would you teach us that? Would you remind us of that day in and day out? We thank you for your son, Jesus who paid it all. For it's in Christ's name we pray.